My name is, is Ewan, as they've said, I'm a third year student of criminology at York. I'm part of the chaplaincy team of Her Majesty's Prison and Young Offenders Institute in Weatherby on behalf of G2 here, and a charity called Into Out. And um, I came to G2 in my third week of university, and I haven't left. And so it's the first time I've spoken here, so it's a massive privilege, um, if not um, a little bit nerve-wracking. So um, we're in the third of our series on Philippians and growing up. And so, um, as we look at what it means to grow up, um, I'm going to be following on from Holly, who talked about um, what it meant to kind of um, be in Christ. Last week we looked at imitators of Christ, and today I'm going to be looking at what it means to grow roots in Christ. I'm going to ask one of my um, good mates, Nick, if he will come and read the passage for us. If you've got your Bible, feel free to turn to it, Philippians 3. Um, if you haven't, like you like me, and you can't remember the last time you brought a Bible to church, it will be on the screen behind you. Nick, cheers. So I read from Philippians 3, verse 1 to 21. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me, and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join me in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have of us. For many, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross, the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself.
Brill, thank you very much. So here we start, and Paul opens up um, this final part of the letter in a way that he has done so many times before. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. We all have our heroes, right? And when I was growing up, my hero was Fireman Sam, right? Because Fireman Sam was a fireman and he was Welsh, right? My dad was a fireman and he was Welsh, right? So they were literally probably the same person when I was growing up. And he was my hero until I found out that even firemen make mistakes, right? And I can remember that day very, very clearly. My dad tells me the story of when he's just trained to be a firefighter and these fire crews were doing a massive house fire and they walk in and there's this dog there in the fire. And so my dad takes off his breathing apparatus in the middle of the fire, crawls under the smoke, and pulls out this dog, this boxer dog, called Daisy, and pulls it out to safety. And, um, and, and this dog sits next to him. And he was like, maybe we should just go and do a final sweep. And they found the owners still sat in the bedroom upstairs. So my dad had rescued the dog, but left the owners. Hero completely vanished. <laughs> But we all have our heroes of the faith, and my hero of the faith is not necessarily a biblical character, um, it is a, he's a church pastor, it is Dr. Tony Campolo. Tony Campolo is uh, maybe a, a very controversial figure, but he's a sociologist, and like me, when Tony speaks, I'm absolutely captivated. We think on the same wavelength, and I've had the incredible privilege of meeting Tony a number of times uh, across the last few years. As I've gone to leave, he's taken my hand, shaken it with his other hand on top. You know how those kind of old wise guys do, hand on top. And then he said to me, and looked into my eyes and said to my soul, keep the faith, keep the faith. And those moments in my life, the moments that I face that are tough, it's so life-affirming to hear somebody say, keep the faith, keep the faith. And uh, this is what Paul calls the church in Philippi to do, to keep on going, keep the faith. He says, I know you know this stuff, but it's so important to keep our grounding, to keep checking our grounding, our roots in faith. And this may well be a message for us here at G2, that like a tree, we must each keep our grounding strong. That our foundations are in Jesus. That as we continue to grow as Christ's body out into new things, into new areas, into potentially uncharted waters, that our responsibility is to keep our faith grounded deeply. Because as we're seeking growth, we don't want to get to a position where our growth is so great, but our roots are so weak that we topple over. Because when churches and organisations topple over, they do it spectacularly. People get hurt and lives get messed around. So as we look at this topic of growing roots, I want you to keep this in mind. If you are sat here today, committed to living for Jesus, you are part of Christ's body. And if you are part of Christ's body, then we each have an individual responsibility to ensure that our roots of faith are established and to keep revisiting the reason that we have hope in Jesus. Paul opens his back to basic session, reminding God's people not to put their confidence in the flesh. He says, I've done that. I've done it. And you know what? It just doesn't work. I have done it far more than you can ever imagine. In fact, if anybody had reason to put their confidence in the flesh, it was me. And I've done it. But yet, when I put my confidence in the flesh, I find that for his sake, 
I have suffered the loss of all things. When I put my confidence in Christ, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. This is a strong statement. In order that I may gain Christ and found in him. Paul says the, need, the thing you need to put your confidence in is Christ. To dig your roots into Jesus. To be constantly changed and moulded by him. And this is a process of transformation. Romans 12 verse 2 says this. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Yet be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this process of transformation can be really, really slow at times. Because if there was a quick fix to being more like Jesus, let me tell you, the business in me would have left you and I'd be selling it to you at a very inflated price. For me, I'm going through a process of transformation at the moment. And it's really, really tough. It is really tough. Only my very closest friends will know the battle that goes on inside me, one that many people will not see. But yet I desperately, desperately long to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. Not to conform to the pattern that this world says I must. And that has to be from a point where I am rooted in Jesus. And to be refined. A quote that I cling to at the moment comes from the former slave driver and writer of Amazing Grace, John Newton. He says this, I remember two things. That I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great saviour. What incredible words. I am a great sinner. And Christ is a great saviour. And so if we want to be a church which has our roots in Jesus, I believe we need to be three things. Number one, we need to be a Bible-believing people. Number two, we need to be a bold and audacious people. And number three, we need to be a gospel-focused people. A gospel-centred people. First, a Bible-believing people. What does that mean? In verse 14, Paul calls us to press on towards that which we have already attained. To strive to be more like Jesus, to live up to the gospel that we have accepted. And for many people, this is a real sticking point in coming to faith. Because in a world where it's every man and woman for themselves, where the primary aim is to climb the career ladder, to gain material possessions, and to be the best, in your field, the message of the gospel is deeply offensive. A message that you must die to self in order to live, that we must bear our cross to follow Jesus, and that everything is considered loss when compared to knowing Jesus is an offensive, offensive message in the culture that we live in. But don't get me wrong, I am a massive fan of this offensive gospel. In fact, I try to base my life around it. Because, friends, being a Bible-believing, cult, Bible-believing people in the culture that we live in is really tough. It seems an insurmountable challenge in our society, which seems to be at loggerheads on so many issues. There is a tension between the culture of our society, which is rapidly changing and evolving through new technology, new um, discovery, against the Bible, which remains unchanging. But when our roots are grounded in the word of God, when we take our direction from the book and not from life, our life is shaped not by the world and its despair, but by the gospel and its hope. We become less like the culture that we are living in and more like Jesus. And that is something that we ought to strive for. So let me ask you, is your life rooted in the word of God or is it rooted in the culture? that you see around you.
To be a bold and audacious people, secondly. As long as we want to be a people who want to take the Bible seriously, then we have to take its commands seriously. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, verse 19, says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded to you. And behold, I am with you until the end of the age. This Christian life that we live is a race, but it's a race of endurance, not of speed. Let me tell you, if it was about speed, I'd be out, right? I'd be on the one kilometre mark. It's a race of endurance. And it's about embracing those moments where we can serve Jesus. I was recently on a train to London, and it was rush hour. But remarkably, there was space. Those of you who travel regularly will know what an incredible blessing that is. I sat opposite this guy, and he was in his late 20s, maybe early 30s. And as I sat down, he, he didn't, didn't say anything to me. But his eyes gave away what he was trying to hide. I was sure, I was absolutely certain he could have just burst into tears at any moment. But unfortunately, this story isn't going to end the way you, you think or hope it might. Because I stayed silent. I stayed silent for the two hours. I worked some of my dissertation. And I watched him hurry off at King's Cross to wherever he was intending to go. I missed my opportunity to share something of Jesus with somebody who was so evidently hurting. And I'm gutted. I'm gutted that I miss it. Because friends, as our roots begin to deepen, the faith that we have strengthens, we begin to step out more. I am a great, great admirer of those people who um, go treasure hunting, you know, where you ask God for words and you go out and you find them and you give the words to them. And um, I'm just a great admirer because that fills me with fear. Yet the only reason I stand here speaking today is because in my third week of university, somebody stood outside my halls and said, Jesus loves you. Come to G2, come to our church. We'd love to have you. And so therefore, that is bold and audacious living, even when it fills me with dread. Last weekend, uh, Kristen and I went down to a conference on running Alpha. And um, as I sat and listened to the stories of people um, who'd come to faith on Alpha, the Alpha course, I was overwhelmed. Because story after story, it was about people saying, you know what, the reason why I came to faith was because one day, Somebody invited me to Alpha, and I accepted. And there were hundreds and hundreds of these stories, individuals who were living out in bold and audacious living. And it's infectious, it is desperately infectious. Because as I was standing there on the, on the platform to King's Cross, uh, I had a bit of time to wait the next morning, this security guard started chatting to me and said, what have you been doing? I said, well, I, 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 I stopped. And I was like, right, I've got two options. I've got the conference option. I've got that I'm down here with work option. Actually, there's a third option. That I was down here with Alpha. Understand, learning how to understand the basic Christian principles and learn how to give them to other people. And that's what we did. And we chatted about faith and culture. It felt alien. It felt really alien. But actually, that is living life out in bold and audacious living. So where can you be more bold? and audacious in the community or with the people around you. Thirdly, to be gospel-focused people. If in reading this passage, we were under any misapprehension of the paradox between the great life found in the gospel 
and the destruction and going it our own way. If we'd got through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and still we were under any misapprehension, Paul spells it out. He says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now I'll even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction. They glory in their shame. Their mindset on earthly things. I'm not sure what you think about these words. But let me tell you, I find them incredibly difficult to stomach. That my dear friends and family, those who I love very, very dearly, who don't know Jesus, might be called enemies of the cross of Christ. But what I too easily forget in the world that I live in, a world that so often does not reflect the glory of God, is that Christ has already reconciled man to himself. Christ has already reconciled man to himself. We're given a choice, follow me or turn away. There's a very famous story of a a man by the name of Lionel Richie, many of you will know him. Um, And uh, what a a cracking photo, isn't he just so cool? And Lionel Richie grew up in the southern states of America, and uh, he wasn't very rich. And one day, as he was just about to make it, he turned up to his dad's house with this massive present. The present was huge. It did not hardly fit through the door, and his dad's eyes lit up. They didn't have a lot of money, and this massive present walks through the door. It doesn't literally walk. (laughs) That would be be incredible. Um, But what happens is Lionel Richie's dad says, thank you so much. He starts unwrapping the, the, the wrapping paper. And he wraps it layer by layer by layer. And the present gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Until the present just fits in the size of his hand. And Lionel Richie's dad is now like, oh my word, the big present, yeah. It's pretty rubbish, isn't it? It's not this small. And he, and he unwraps it further and further and further and further. Until it literally gets to the size of his finger. And he unwraps the last layer and he takes out a bit of paper. At this point, he is gutted. I would be gutted. This massive present that has been brought through the door is now literally the size of his finger. And he takes out the piece of paper. He reads it. And on the paper are these five words. All your debts are paid. And he looks and he says, well, what? What What about my house? It's paid for. It's paid. What about my car? He says, it's paid for my credit. He says, Dad, Dad, all your debts are paid. Friends, that is the miracle of the gospel. That all our debts are paid. In the form of a small baby, growing up, living perfect life, to die on a cross, when all hope was lost, the resurrection meant that it was paid, paid in full. And, um, you know, as we, as we look at this, Jesus said on that cross, it is finished. If we translate that another way, it translates as all your debts are paid. Romans 5.8 tells us that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in knowing that Christ died for us, there is great power. Because as Christians, we are not called to offer mediation with Christ. We're not called to find a middle ground between Christ and people. As God's children, our role is that we point people to Christ. We are imitators of Christ 
and his love. We shouldn't be the ones trying to sweeten the deal because in fact there is no deal to be sweetened. The fact that Jesus died on that cross and rose again was the most powerful and loving act in history. We are without doubt that on that cross everything has been covered. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, and here's the crunch, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. And Paul goes on to say, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And this is the message of the gospel that we hang out for. This is, for me, the reason why I go into prisons and and potentially put myself in danger because this is the gospel that I hang out for. And this is why we can afford to be gospel-centered people because it is covered. There is no mediation. Christ has already reconciled man to himself and therefore we are free to live without fear. I'm going to show you a video now um, of a man uh, who is probably my ultimate hero, just after Jesus. <laughs> a man by the name of Sir Nicholas Winton. Sir Nicholas Winton recently celebrated his 105th birthday. And he is famous because he, um, he was travelling in Czech Republic under the Nazi regime. And he saw the children who were potentially going to be oppressed. And what he did was he set these children on trains and brought them back to Britain and housed them. And he didn't say anything to anybody until years later his family found the list of names. And in 1988 he appeared on this TV show. It's a minute clip, less than that. Can we, uh, can we see that now? Isn't that an incredible picture? I sometimes like to sit at home and picture the moment when I stand in glory and I see his face, there I'll serve my king forever in that holy place. And I pray that each person in here who's committed to living the life of Christ will one day stand in front of Jesus. And when Jesus asked, in being a Bible-believing people, in being bold and audacious, and living a gospel-centered life with the people who owe their salvation to you being bold through Jesus Christ where they stand. And I pray that those who I've witnessed to, those who I've been bold to, those who I've made an influence by my action and words would stand. Not because of what I've done, but what Christ has done through me and what Christ has done through you. Friends, I want to be rooted in being a Bible-believing man of God. I want to live a life that is rooted in being bold and audacious. And I want to live a life which is gospel-centred. In fact, I want to live a life whereby if Jesus was removed, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. So are you living a gospel-centred life whereby if Jesus was removed, nothing else would matter? I'm going to invite the band back to the stage. But we're going to finish in worship. We're going to finish with a response as well. And um, in the worship, we're going to sing a song called I Will Follow by Chris Tomlin.
Whilst I was working for Spring Harvest in France a number of years ago, we sang this song. And the lyrics of it go like this. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Where you move, I'll move. I will follow you. How you love, I'll love. How you serve, I'll serve. If this life I lose, I will follow you. And as I was singing this song, I was reflecting on the words. I was brought to silence over the words. If this life I lose, I will follow you. I know Jesus commands me to take my cross daily and follow him. But could I seriously do that? At a time I didn't know, and this has taken me on a journey to discover, do I have so little confidence in the flesh and so much confidence in Jesus that I am prepared to lose my life for this cause? As we respond in worship, and we're going to do something slightly different, this isn't a response for the sake of doing a response. I can't be bothered with that stuff. This is about opportunity. I want to give you guys the opportunity to respond to what God is doing in your hearts. I fully believe that God is wanting to do something with every single one of us in here today. Maybe you've come to the realisation that your roots are grounded in flesh and not in Jesus. As we worship myself and um, some of the other guys are going to be down the front here. And um, if you feel like you've strayed away from what the Bible says to what the world says, we'd love to come and pray with you. If you feel like you have missed out on a time where you could have been bold and audacious and you want more of that, come and pray with us. And if you feel like in the busyness of life or not being confident in the cross that you have misplaced gospel-centered living, come and pray with us. Please don't feel scared about coming to the front. We've left a, a walkway for that own importance. But maybe you've come here today and you're not committed to living for Jesus. We want to give you that opportunity today to come and pray with us and to start that journey. If you want Jesus to invade your life with grace and love and forgiveness, then, then we'd love to give you that opportunity. Just before we do that, I'm going to pray. And um, I'm going to kneel on the stage as an act of surrender. If you're able to and you want to, I want to invite you to kneel where you are. There's space. To kneel and surrender. Say, God, I want my roots into you. And then we're going to carry on worship. If you want to, please come forward. But guys, if you want to, if you want to kneel with me now and surrender to Jesus, please, please. God, we thank you that you are all powerful. That on the cross, you covered it all. God, we surrender to you everything of our lives. We count it all as rubbish. Take it and use it for your glory. May we become more of a Bible-believing people. May we become more bold and audacious in our lives. And may we live where gospel is the centre of everything, where if you took away Jesus, nothing else will matter. I pray that you would give us new life, breathe new life into us that we would know more of your love more of your grace and more of your forgiveness